greatest political podcast and today we're joined by a very special guest uh robbie butler from the ulster unionist and he's here to talk about his private members bill so hello robbie evening james evening matthew how are you today <laughs> yeah we're, we're good we're still working away here in Stormont. um debating the uh chamber at the moment on the budget bill um so I, i'm not sure if there's going to be a vote or not so i'm kind of waiting about because i hold the proxy votes for the ulster unionist party so hopefully it'll be much later than we are now the joys of being chief whip. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not just having responsibility, there's a wee bit, a little bit more work to it as well. Yeah, that's good. Still good. Good opportunity to learn. Um, I think we always start with like a kind of simple softball question for you. Just kind of, what's your favourite, like uh, it could be movie, TV show, just from like this part of the world? Um, favourite t- so favorite movie, there's, there's two. Uh, Wonderful Life, it's a Wonderful Life, so Christmas movie. Absolutely uh, yeah. adore that watch it um to um i watch it because well i've always loved it but then sort of since i got involved and passionate about mental health and i see the actual the real thread in the story and then the 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 suicide ideation by the star i can by james stewart absolutely phenomenal movie watch it every year maybe twice and if i get a chance to watch it it gives me a chance to have a wee garden at the end of it um and then another favorite film is for the soundtrack actually and it's uh, the greatest showman absolutely adore the music of that great movie anyway it's a pretty good movie um but uh and there's a probably a deeper story than people would, would, would give it credit for because some people think it's cheesy but the soundtrack is just amazing um and then locally um you were asking so, so it's locally well I'm just, i don't know yeah. i'm just proud of everything of northern ireland i just love it love the football team the Greenway army and oh yeah man. i said it about the passion of the boat just our, our, our heritage here i'm passionate about our Iconic sites, whether it's Cave Hill, Black Mountain, um, the, the Cranes in East Belfast, or but I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about Lagan Valley in Lisburn. So, um, you know, it's it, Lisburn itself has a great history. Uh, it's, it's quite a, an old town, market town. There's, there's great history there when we actually do take time to learn about it and go around the different sites and learn the names of the streets and why they were called that. So, um, what's not the love about Northern Ireland? <laughs> there we go. There's a very happy answer there. Look, reason we've brought you on for tonight's podcast is we want to talk about your private members bill. And as much as I like to explain to people what your bill is and what's happening with it, I think it's best for you to put it in your own words and why you're doing it. No problem. Yeah, that's fine. So we'll start at the very beginning. So the genesis for that, for this private members bill and the private members bill, whilst it it hasn't got an official name other than the emergency responders PTSD bill. Um, the, the genesis of it comes from the fact that I served for 20 years um, as either a prison officer for four years or 16 years frontline fire service. And in that time, I made lots of friends with lots of excellent men and women. And a lot of those men and women have suffered um, through their service, through exposure to uh, either trauma in the emergency arena, whether in the fire service, or working in a, a highly charged toxic atmosphere, which is a prison. And a lot of those ex-colleagues which have had to take early ill health retirement um, and sometimes worse. Um, I've seen marriages break up. I've seen people become uh, alcoholics or drug addicts. I've seen um, 
people lose their jobs, and a lot of the time it's down to PTSD or mental ill health due to work-related trauma. Now, I'm not going to say work-related stress because work-related stress is slightly different because work-related stress um, is genuine. Maybe you just you take work too seriously sometimes. Maybe your boss is putting too much pressure on you or you're in the wrong place or you've got toxic relationships. What I'm talking about in this instance, in this private members bill is recognizing that if you take the role of either of these four things, which is a firefighter, police officer, paramedic, or prison officer, you part of your normal work will be in a highly charged, toxic, or dangerous environment. Now that's not any, that's not most people's normal working environment. And what I'm saying is that if that is part of your normal working environment and you're expected to work there, we already provide training to keep you physically safe. We already provide PPE to keep you physically safe. What more can we do to keep you mentally safe and mentally fit? Um, so that's the genesis of it. Um, and that's where the, the, the energy comes from. Now I can go on and talk about this or you can pick me apart and ask me questions if you like, what the stages might look like and what my ideas are. I don't mind whatever way you want to take this, guys. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think probably the best or first way to deal with it is how, how do you kind of plan to deal with PTSD in kind of like a policy terms, I okay. guess. So the first thing to do is to differentiate that uh, when people talk about mental health, a lot of the focus people say, oh, there's not enough counselors and there's not enough therapy and whatever. And I'm from, using my fire service background, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, you're right. But actually, why don't we talk about prevention? Why don't we talk about preventing it from happening and then we won't actually need as many counselors? So yes, am I interested in more counselors and, and, and availability of counselors? Lessons? Absolutely. But what I actually think the win will be is that we can prevent people needing counselors and, and needing that, that assistance. And in doing that, um, we will prevent um, high levels of PTSD. We will prevent uh, high levels of mental ill health due to exposure in the line of work. We will reduce uh, people either retiring early. We will increase job retention. And there actually will be fiscal savings as well. But the primary drive is that do it for the moral right reason, uh, which is to protect um, and safeguard people's mental health in a known environment. So what I want to do is, it's a, you can take it in stages if you like. So if, if my private members bill was to be successful, I see it like this, and I could change it more when it goes through committee, if I get it that far and people amend it. Um, but I hope they don't amend it, uh, because they would need to demonstrate to me that they have some idea of what it's like to work in some of these environments, and it'd be hard for them to debate that one with me. Um, so what I want to do is, like, for instance, if you take recruitment, for instance, I genuinely don't believe that uh, any of those services um, should be charged with trying to make somebody who's not got the skill set to work in a traumatic arena, to make them work, be able to work in a traumatic arena. I'm not sure that that exists in anybody. So what I'm suggesting is that there's an element of psychometric testing or similar to ensure that people selected to do those jobs have some capacity um, and understand. I'll give you a very simple example. I worked with a firefighter once and I discovered that they didn't like the sight of blood. I never did. And I can remember asking them, what on earth are you doing this job for? Because you will, you will come across a scene and <laughs> trust me, you'll see plenty of it. Um, uh, you'd be very lucky if you went through a career in the fire service and you didn't come across somebody who was you know, cut out or um, maybe in a car accident or whatever it is, okay? Um, there's lots of different incidents that can happen. So, um, so I think there's a personal responsibility at the very start. So basically, I think we should be asking people uh, said, you do understand that this is a traumatic environment you're going to be working in. Do, can, you know, can, do you think you can deal with an incident like this, like this, like this? 
So there's a there's a responsibility on the applicant, but also on the employer to filter um, for capacity and that's safeguarding people at the very start. Second stage is after selection in your initial training. I think there should be uh, part of the initial training package for recruits that exposes you to some kind of trauma in some way, maybe using virtual reality, for instance. You know, you can't, it's, in the fire service, for instance, in my training, you use these straw-filled dummies, you know, tying them into improvised stretchers, tying them into lines to lower them down. You didn't care if you dropped them or the lines snapped. It didn't matter. There were, were, were straw-filled dummies and you had a bit of crack. There was no reality to it. So I think there's a, an element in the training again, especially with technology, and I think virtual reality might be the way that we're able to achieve it. But people, at, even at that stage, you're testing and measuring and starting to record uh, people's reactions. And, and, and you have to have like a duty of candor here, not just with the employer, but the employee to say, it's okay to raise things here. Because the reality is this, people need to realize that if, say for instance, you take a job like that and you really aren't cut out for it, the effect of not being able to deal with that trauma can be lifelong and it can affect every other part of your life. So let's protect each other at that stage. So are you trying to essentially save people from these, you know, extreme reactions that they may have to the work that they they want to get into? So by even just showing them maybe a small example of, you know, what is determined as a traumatic event to test them to see if they're able to go through it? Absolutely, I do. And people would say, um, people, some people in my consultation so far have said, well, you should be able to train for that. I would contend that you can't train for that, but I'm open to ideas, I'm not the expert. Um, I, do, I think if you're, if you, I, I'll tell you this, I can, I could deal with this stuff in 16 years and I've seen some horrific uh, scenes and stuff and I've dealt with some really bad stuff. And I just, I just know that in my personality, I can't deal with that. I've worked with people who couldn't deal with that. Um, I don't think, in my experience, in, in, in all of the hundreds of people I've worked with, that it's a trainable thing. I don't think you can train it in anybody, um, you know, to be, because even in, in the teams that I worked with, excuse me, there were people who stayed at the back because they did not want to be putting hands on bodies that were broken. And if you're in a fire service, really, you need to have that capacity or a paramedic or in the police or you know, in the rescue services. Prison service is kind of the same. Every time, every day that you go into work in the prison is, is highly charged. It's not a friendly environment. It's probably one of the toughest jobs out of those four, actually. And it's a unique environment. Um, and there are lots of people who do not want to be feel that pressure every day. And it's not worth 30 grand a year, I can tell you. You know, it'll change your life. So I think we should be exposed, you know, giving people some, um, some feeling of what it's going to be like before they actually do it. Um, now, once they're in the recruits course, I certainly can speak from the prison service and the fire service and the police. I think that you, that you have the job. Like you, the, nobody's gonna. I'm not suggesting we change it. To, you know, we say, oh, he can't deal with trauma. She can't deal with trauma. I want. So that's why I want to do the first piece, which is on on um, on recruitment. Then this second part's training. The third part, which is really crucial, is when people are uh, going to their stations or they're in the environment that. Ma management take on this responsibility for uh, monitoring your staff when they're exposed to events. So um, if you are at a fire and someone dies or someone's hurt or a road accident or you're at a riot or you're in a prison and at least some, someone throws a pot of liquid over you and you don't know whether it's pee or, or tea, um, that's quite traumatic um, given the, you know, the, the diseases that can be transferred, hepatitis C or, or, or all sorts of stuff. That can, you know, so. Uh, that can be very traumatic. So what we should be doing is recording all of those, okay, and offering help. Most people won't, be, won't take help, maybe, you know, on one instance. What I'm saying is there's cumulative trauma, which multiplies the, the risk exponentially. 
for different people, it's different. Some people can take one, two, or three and not feel, and then the fourth one's a trigger. Some people can take 16 or 20 events and, you know, and sometimes it doesn't trigger. So what I'm saying is there has to be a responsibility um, on the employer to record this and a responsibility on the employee to also self-record in some way. Um, and, and, but everybody has a line manager and then there needs to be trigger points uh, and there also needs to be follow-up. So I'm aware that there are some good things in each of those services. So for instance, the fire service have a thing called critical incident stress management. I was part of that when it was there and it's good, okay? But it is, in the first instance, it's, it's, uh, it is intervention, it's reactive. So it kind of does happen, but there's no statutory obligation for it to happen. Police have something similar. Prison services are starting to do stuff. Paramedics are maybe, I'm not, I'm not sure if they're way behind, but they're certainly not leading the way. And what I would say about all of the things that they're doing, even if they are good, when budgets get stretched in each of these services, the one thing that doesn't get cut is operational capacity and operational service. The first things that get cut are the early furry things, safety, maybe a bit of training, and a little bit of this over here. And I would suspect that this type of stuff that I'm talking about um, would be one of those things that would be cut easily out of a budget um, because it's not as seen as it's not necessary to keep operations going. So I want to make it a statutory obligation, which would mean that they can't cut it out. And there might be some pressure to put on the department, you know, to fund that. Um, you talk a lot there about, um, sorry to butt in, but you do talk a lot about there about the the importance of who recognises this trauma. For you, it's, would you say it's the individual has to first recognise it within themselves or would a line manager or a colleague need to be also playing a key part there? Ultimately, the employer, ultimately the line manager. So um, thinking of all these incidents, everybody works to a line manager. Um and there's, there's a, a, a chain of command. So it's the, in the first instance, if in, in the event of an incident, it's the manager or employer's responsibility to record that, okay? Um, but in any sort of health and safety helix model, there's also personal responsibility because if you, de if you defer all responsibility to the employer 100%, it's not necessarily a good thing. Now, mental health uh, issues are, are, are quite, it, it cannot be the employee's sole responsibility ever because it's one of those insidious things that when if you're suffering and you're feeling a bit crushed, one of the hardest things to do, the last thing you'll do is put your hand up and reach out. But what I want to do is change the whole way mental health is thought about and talked about too. So if we accept that there's no responsibility on the person, then we will forever be saying that actually people are always going to be, it's always going to be like a stigma to talk about it. And we need to blow that out of the water and say, actually, no, of course you're going to feel it's going to be tough when you see things like this or when you're dealing with it. That's, that's, that's a human reaction for most of us. And it's okay to be struggling. It's okay. And in fact, it'll be much better if you share that with us. Are you sure? You know, and, and we don't even need it to get to that. So what I'm actually saying, James, in that instance is when, it, when an event happens, before it even kicks in as a trauma that you record it. Last night, I was at a, a fatal fire in Belfast and there was two people killed on it. And you, you flag that. So that when someone comes to record, maybe it's a welfare officer, can see or in some way, whenever somebody hits maybe three flags or two flags or something, you can use the word flags in this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the markers, we call it markers. <laughs> you hit the markers and the flags. Um, someone's going to say, oh, hold on a second. This person has now reached three traumas in 18 months. We're, and we now need to go and ask a question. And I'm, so, not set, I'm not setting the levels here. I'm suggesting that's what it should be. Yeah, so that so it's kind of just as much like a a cultural 
approached it as much as it has kind of a tactical approach? Would you say? Or Matthew, if we don't challenge the culture, yeah, in there too, um, because uh, fire service is still a male-dominated environment. The police less so, paramedics less so. Prison service is still male-dominated. Um, and any of the male dominated areas, it's the, the macho machismo stuff still there. It was worse when I started in 1996, um, probably before you two were born. Um, Just about. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was really, I mean, it was really, you, you wouldn't have said boo, but uh, in, in a perverse kind of way, the black humor kind of worked. Okay, but black humor is not acceptable anymore. Humor is good. Um, the, the team sort of, um, the team talks afterwards are very good, but in a, a more diverse workforce, they're not they'll not stand up to, to scrutiny or challenge. Um, you know, and so this is this is why I, I mean I'm really going to be, be engaging with uh, the management side of all of those services probably over this next month or two, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. That's where my challenge is going to come from, I believe. So uh, just when we're talking about the mental health of our first responders who do all these wonderful things for our society and help keep us safe. And protect us how important is our mental health for providing that good service is it is it noticeable when somebody you know isn't mentally well does it impact how they deliver the service and how they care for us as a society and have yeah. you noticed that during your experience i i uh, i mean it's a it's a it's a, it's a really it's a really good question never ever thought of that question and the, and the reality is actually when you're doing it you don't feel it so it's like people talk about People are talking about the levels of, of suicide during COVID. And in reality, at the moment, whilst the, 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 the reports are a year later, there's still indications to say that, that, that suicide levels are down slightly. Okay. And the reason that that happens is well documented, well recorded. Uh, when people are under stress, they actually cope and they do things. And what happens is it's when you stop, as I call it, an emotional hangover. So it's like when, it's when, so when, if you're at, uh, at an incident, everything kind of happens automatically. You're only doing one bit of it. Your brain's functioning on this little bit. It goes well, it doesn't go well. Someone else is shouting at you, it pulls you over here, you go and do something else. And then you go back to the station or you go back and then you start thinking and your head starts to take you all over here. Now, I'm not saying that's the same for everybody, but that's the general way this happens. And then you've got all the other things, life stresses pulling at you and you're not down low and you're not completing the stuff. And then your head will tend to start to tell you different things about what you should have done, what you could have done, uh, and all sorts of stuff. So actually in the moment, it's not generally a problem. It doesn't act, it doesn't generally affect operational ability. But once it kicks in, once it actually manifests itself in the outworkings of, of mental health or PTSD, you actually won't be in work. That's the difference. Do, 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 does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So I'm not speaking about every absolute case. But I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine recently and I worked with him um, in Southern area and he's, but I'm 48, 49, and he's early 40s. Two kids, young fella, um, and I was phoning him just to say happy Christmas and I asked him how he was. And he just says, I haven't been in work for a year. And I, uh, so when, when, when you say, when someone of that age tells you I haven't been in work for a year in any of those services, you kind of know what it is. And I said, um, you're struggling, and I said, he said yes, and, and I was about to ask him, and he says, I think I've got PTSD, you know, and I knew some of the incidents that he'd been at, I was at some of them, um, and I just think, and me trying to do this legislation, that's why I'm doing it, I'm trying to prevent somebody in their early 40s 
having to retire from the service that they actually love um, due to, you know, just exposure to a number of incidents over a period and, and not being treated properly. You know, it wasn't identified, he wasn't maybe taken out of the fire line uh, or whatever it was. Um, and um, and it, the culture thing is really important here. You talk about the culture, um, Matthew. The culture needs to be changed because we need people like that to be able to say, yes, I need help at a time. So maybe after his first, second, third, or fourth incident, he we need to get it where any man or woman can say, absolutely, I'm struggling. Or I'm feeling really strange. So if we can spot what those wee triggers are and then get the support and the help at that stage, then it might be a game changer. Um, and and I, I, I hope this isn't an unpopular thing to, to say, but this has been shared on my consultation. Y years ago, Employment opportunities are, are, are very diverse. And I'm, I'm, I suppose we've got a, there's a lot of people out there who are, don't know what they want to do, and then they go to university and they do degrees and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then they they will come out and they look for jobs, and they maybe can't get a job doing what they actually intended to do. So then we find there's a lot of people that end up in the police or the prison service or the fire service who never in their wildest dreams ever considered it, but because it's a thirty thousand pound a year job, it fits the bracket. And, and they can pass assessment centers and so on, and then they go and do it. And most of the times that's fine. But I can I would genuinely I would genuinely challenge anybody that's thinking about it. Do you seriously think about these jobs? They're not easy. Are they rewarding? Absolutely. But will they will it take something out of you? You bet your bottom dollar it will take something out of you. Because if it doesn't, you're not a you'll not be a human being. You won't have a heart because it's tough. Some of the stuff you'll be exposed to um, is gut wrenching and it's life changing. You know when you see how fragile life can be. And, and predicaments some people get into and they need you to help. And sometimes you're at these incidents and you don't even know what to do. Imagine, imagine you know, and I'm, I'm speaking to someone who was an officer in charge of crews, looking at the help some incidents and going, where do I start? Do you think, uh, kind, of, kind of talking about that and talk, looking at like the kind of people who tend to, to uh, maybe not deal with it well, do you think there's enough statistical kind of um, research done at the moment on trying to figure out kind of who and what and when? Um, so, no, I don't. I don't. What, what, the statistical information we do have is that people, there's a, there's a rise in uh, early ill health impairments through work-related stress. Now, it's not recorded in the same way, and I'm challenging, actually, one of, I'm not going to say this on the podcast because it would be a live thing, but there's one of those services who hasn't been doing it well at all, uh, we have been challenging, we're still challenging them to, to address how they're going about treating people because just, it's, just, uh, it's just one of those things. Um, and I, it's an interesting one. Um, so the legislation that I'm trying to do doesn't exist anywhere in the world, but there's something, they did talk about it in Ontario and Canada. There's a, there's, a, there's a bill over there and it's very, very good. It's excellent. But what they do, they go a step further than mine. So they, sorry, they don't go a step further than mine. They start at the other end. They're going to the other end where people have it. And uh, so if you want, if you are in one of the services and you um, go to your doctor and he says you've got PTSD, then they are they give you the pension, retire you, and they have to prove that you don't have it. Over here, it's the other way about. You have to prove that you do have it before they let you have access to a, an early health uh, pension. So it's called the uh, Ontario First Response PTSD um, presumptive bill or something. It's something along those lines. Maybe got the words slightly wrong. But it gives me some hope that people are talking about it globally. I would love Northern Ireland to be the leaders in this. I mean, we should be so proud of our service personnel over, regardless, and I mean, regardless of the political intent in this, serving in anything in, in Northern Ireland in this last 40, 50, 60 years has been 
an incredibly hard thing for many families, regardless of where you come from and your, your politics about them. Um, and men and women have done, have done it and, and paid a, a hefty price for it, and their families have paid a hefty price for it. I mean, if you're looking for the, the outcomes that I want to see, I want to see a reduction in um, early health impairment, I want to see a reduction in instances of PTSD and mental health, I want to see increases in retention rates, I want to see families stay together, I want to see a reduction in alcoholism, I want to see a reduction in, in drug drinking, I want to see um, um, kids grow up and, 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 and been having to have this, a really good relationship with their parents in whatever way that is, um, as, as long as that could be, and not be affected by things that we might be able to prevent. And I think, you know, in some cases we won't get it all, but we can't be forgiven for not trying to get as much and fix as much as we can. I feel like on that note, uh, we'll leave it there. I'm very conscious about taking up any more of your time, Robbie. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about your private members bill. I think there's some really good points you made in there and a bit of hope at the end and how we can possibly be world leaders in this, which is great to hear. Um, where can people find your consultation? And if they want to submit anything, where can they go to do that? The consultation closes on the 23rd of March. So if anybody knows uh, anybody who is either works in any of those four sectors or is retired from any of those four sectors, or if you're a family member, so if you are a son or a daughter and your mother or father worked in there, you will also know about those effects. So that I'm looking at all those type of people who respond um, by the 23rd of March, and you'll find the link on, on my Twitter uh, feed and also on the Facebook um, Smart Survey. So it closes in three weeks' time, so um, it'd be really useful if I got some more uh, responses from, from people out there. It'd be really useful, guys. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, thank you so much.